love to come in with the coughs. <laughs> However, uh, man, I just, I swear this cold weather dries out my nose, and then I start getting a sinus headache, and oh. it's so fucking annoying. Oh, it's nightmarish. I'm, re- I'm ready for winter to be over. You know what? We, we, we were like, man, January, so good. Mild. Yeah, I was like, fuck, yes, we're going to miss the, those random two weeks that is, like, colder than your fucking freezer outside. We snuck through, and, and then, bam, polar mm-hmm. vortex, and baby. Then goddamn Barry Satiro turned on his weather machine again. Right as he was stabbing that he- baby in that picture. <laughs> what is their obsession with, the, like, the satan? I don't, why do they always think there's some satanic rituals going Spirit on? cooking. They I They gotta guess. get the baby blood and then rub it on their eyes and stuff like that. You know, when when I talk about my podcast with new people I meet, I always have to make sure they're not, like, Christian. Because oh, yeah. then if they are, I'm like, you might not want to listen to this because... Unless you're Candace. Yeah. Thank you, Candace. <laughs> we, 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 I mean, technically, we make fun of everybody equally, yeah. I think. It's a, a crowning jewel of this show. We make sure to offend everybody. But the Christians get super uh, butthurt. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. It's like if you're that secure in something you believe in, you wouldn't get that butthurt when anybody right. challenges it. Right. I don't I don't get it. Hey, did I ever tell you, remember you said the Jesus vinegar thing? Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, where they put it on a sponge and made yeah. them eat it, drink it. Yeah. So Bianca informed me after she heard that, no. that they thought that actually quenched your thirst back then. Are they were, <laughs> yeah. Are they idiots? Uh, well, obviously, I think so. He he technically was doing Jesus a favor. Well, that's in, the worst in, favor you could have. Never ask for two thousand two hundred years ago time. <sighs> I mean, two thousand twenty com- years ago. Yeah. No, well, like two thousand and almost two thousand only because he was born on zero A.D. Right, and he, he died at. What was he the twenty seven club or was he thirty three or what? He, I, can't I think he's supposed to be thirty two. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I guess you're right. He, he, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's a very weird thing. I mean, think of all the barbaric shit they used to do anyway. Oh yeah, well, like crucifixion. <laughs> right. It's pretty. That was bad. like a fun Sunday for the family. I know. Let's go <laughs> see. Let's go see who's getting crucified this weekend. They were lined up all over the place. Yeah. Just people, just like dying on fucking crosses. Well. Not always crosses. Some of them were that uh, weird, like, one-armed crucifixion thing. They had a one-armed crucifixion it, thing. The full cross really wasn't that common. Okay. So that's for special occasions. I think so, yeah. And Wait, how did they do the one one? Is it, like, both hands? Uh, Yeah, I think they put both hands on on top of each other, and okay. you're kind of like had that. A, maybe they had a nail sh- shortage or something. That could be. A lot of They ran out of railroad spikes to... How- for- how ripped do you think that guy was who pounded them nails in there? Ooh. Like, he's probably the only ripped Roman. And you had to ignore screams. <laughs> screams of anguish. I I, watch, I used to like to watch Spartacus, right? And I thought you were going to say Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I still haven't watched that. I was told a long time ago I'd never understand his pain, so uh-huh. <laughs> I said I'm just not worthy of What's the point? watching yeah. this anti-Semitic director making a Passion of the Christ movie. <laughs> but, uh... Uh, they had like I don't know if this is a real Roman thing, but they'd have like a battalion they needed to teach a lesson or whatever, and they'd have a bag and they'd have to grab beans out of it. And if you got black or white, I think if you got black, you were killed by the person who grabbed white. So that's it was called like their... uh, decimation. Is that what that is? Yeah, a lot of people think that decimation means to wipe something out, like I decimated him. Mm-hmm. What that means is reducing it by one tenth. So like the Russians would do the same thing. They would line up a battalion, 
the officer would walk around, would walk down the ranks and kill every 10th person. They would do, it was the same type of thing. Really? And it was supposed to tighten up morale. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it does. Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, I guess, what, uh, is North Korea's morale high? Yeah, it's super high. They love it there. <laughs> Everyone loves being in North Korea. <laughs> Can you imagine if they got access to manga? Man, they'd be in trouble there. They'd have a fucking, in, or a true insurrection. Oh, yeah. It would be all over. People would be like, we want to be Japan. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? This me is week is me. Hell yeah. Uh, this is the Edie, I mean, Dada finale that Hell you've yeah. all been waiting for. And it's uh, it's a corker. I like is this it? one quite a bit. Yep. Okay. I have a th- I've been thinking about this all week. And I want to toss this by you. Uh, Maybe you'll uh, end the up person get- that's going to toss them by me is Cody. Oh, hello, hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. How Perfect. are you? Perfect. Um, I want to toss this idea at you. Maybe we'll prove my point or disprove it as we get into this. But you said... Maybe Eddie isn't as stupid as he's presented. Right. But I'm going to counter that with maybe he could be, but he has advisors. He has to have advisors, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some people who are in his posse are telling him, maybe you should do this. Mm. Maybe you should do that. You mm. know, that happens. I would say more so than that. He mm. was kept out of the loop completely, and those people just acted on their own impulses without going through the president instead. Kind of like Dick Cheney and George W. Certainly. Okay. Certainly. All right. All right. I, I would say that, that his, his bungling mismanagement and no ideology going into it, he, he had no plans to save or turn around Uganda. It was just a power grab. It was mm. a vacuum left, and he could grab it. He definitely seems to be the... Uh, Dwight Eisenhower of Uganda's history here. Wow. What? Dwight D- What was wrong with Dwight D? <laughs> I don't he just seemed like an iron fist guy. Uh, huh? I mean, who else president-wise had an iron fist? He just seemed like he demanded and he was a general, right? Yeah. He was a he's a big dick general. Yeah. LBJ kind of was like that. He True. wouldn't take shit from nobody, True. but yeah. I mean, same era of gentlemen, I would say. But Dwight I feel Dean. like you could beat up LBJ. I don't know if you could beat up He was really tall. He was really tall. True. Tall yeah, and I don't, thick. I don't know. I mean, he had a big wiener too. Apparently, <laughs> you as Ulysses S. Grant, the like guy who kind of looks like Kirby, is just like really circular. No, Ulysses S. Grant is uh, on the fifty, and he's like a jacked, bearded guy. Mm. You may be thinking of Taft. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, you could probably just roll him over. Yeah, Taft. But he'd be tough. He'd be tough. He he'd had be a like heart a attack in a bath or something, didn't he? <laughs> Either he was I shot mean, in a how, bath or that's, something. That's how every American wants to go down. Fuck. Dying in a bathtub. Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, let's get underway, shall we? Yeah. Welcome to the middle years of the regime. These are the banner years of human rights violation for a means government. A new class of people were established, labeled the disappeared. People who may be considered enemies of the state went missing. Sometimes bodies popped up, but mostly they didn't. Hiding bodies wasn't hard in a country consisting of overgrown jungle, unsettled land, and hundreds of small rivers leading into the Nile. Not to mention a host of carnivores that would be only too happy to help devour any remains. Yeah, I imagine you could just throw throw a body out there and the old critters would get it. Delicious. Yeah, probably lions, hyenas. I mean, I'm sure hyenas will get that bitch. Crows. Vultures. All that. I oh, guess yeah. you never really described it. Is 
Uganda kind of like all jungle is like part desert, part jungle, like mostly jungle. Mostly jungle. Because okay. it's it it's uh, a Nile bordering country, so it's mm. like really lush and okay. vegetative. Perfect for growing coffee, which is their main export. Perfect for uh, Jonestown, it sounds like. Oh yeah. <laughs> Join Jonestown two point All they had to do was go over a <laughs> continent. Amin probably knew or cared about only a few of these killings. This is not to minimize his responsibility, but instead just a different way to heap the blame on him. He created a state in which violence was encouraged, especially among the army. All members of his paramilitary forces used violence for selfish motives, and the line between state-sanctioned violence and personal violence became very thin. Ken sounds like that guy uh, who's running uh, the Philippines right now, honestly. what's his name? I don't know, but he's just like, it's legal to kill drug dealers, right? You're yeah. like, even pot users, it's uh. okay to execute. <laughs> God damn. I'll think of it by the end of the show. A summary of Amin's killings and tortures was published shortly after his overthrow in an Amnesty International report on political killings by governments. It estimates somewhere between 100,000 and 500,000 were killed by security forces in Uganda. According to the report, Systematic and deliberate killings by government forces began in the first month of President Amin's rule in Uganda. Those who weren't killed outright were first tortured by the army, intelligence service, or special police units before being killed. Victims included ministers, judges, members of certain ethnic groups, religious leaders, students, intellectuals, and foreign nationals. The impunity with which the security forces were permitted to kill created the conditions in which many innocent people were killed by members of the army for criminal motives or even arbitrarily. Mm. Okay, isn't a minister and a religious leader basically the same thing? Oh, you asked this last week as well. Did I? Ministers are what like foreign governments call uh, cabinet members. I'm right. Like right. a minister of foreign affairs, a minister of economy, a minister of army. Look, I'm putting that question on the Catholic Church. Fair enough. I'm yeah. doing it. Fair because enough. Because you have priests and then ministers are like the evil people Which, next yeah. door. Yes. Yes. The Lutherans, evil. Oh. Methodists, evil. Oh, Presbys, evil. <laughs> that one church that has a priest who plays, or a minister who plays his guitar because he's cool. They're evil. We had one of them in Iowa. God, what are those called? <laughs> They're always non-denominational. They're like the cool priest. Yep. We got a cool priest. Yeah, dude. there's a church here called Crossroads that is oh, like God. uh it's it's exactly one of those. God. They have a rock band That's every week. That's definitely not the hit movie starring that guy who lost the first season of um uh American Idol. No. No, that is that Britney Spears' That's movie? Britney Spears. Or Spears. no, Mandy Moore, right? Is it Mandy Or was Moore? it Britney Spears? I don't know. God damn it. Apparently that documentary about Britney is pretty good right now. My brain's turning into mush. Does it talk about how her dad yeah. is like an asshole? Yeah, that's okay. what it's about. It's on uh, FX. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. The report goes on to explain the setting up of new special military units such as the Public Safety Department and the State Research Bureau, which replaced Abode's General Security Unit, and also tells the tale we told last week of the legislation set up that allowed the Army to do exactly whatever it pleased, including public executions in village squares without a fair trial. And this is funny. This is like so authoritarian. The Public Safety Department... (laughs) 
and the state research bureau. It's like uh, <laughs> you're, you guys are assholes. It's, man. It honestly would remind me if like the DMV started killing people yes. in public squares. Holy <laughs> shit! Yes, the Department of Motor Vehicles is hanging twelve victims today. You goddamn fucking <laughs> civil servants is what it sounds like. <laughs> twelve people who didn't re-up their tabs are now being executed in public square. <sighs> I got a ticket for that driving over here once. No tabs and expired license. Oh, they got me once too. <laughs> they they love it. Yeah. Easiest way to pull someone over. Oh, yeah. And it's always to check for drinking. Oh, yeah. That's the only reason they do it. Addressing the issue of the disappeared, the report states, Political killings by government agents were typically carried out in secret as the government figured out it was much easier to simply make them disappear and maintain a sense of normalcy in the country. From 1971 onwards, many were arrested by members of the army and made to disappear with authorities denying any knowledge of them. Hell Yikes. Yeah. It's uh, the best way to deal with your problems. You I mean, fucking sweep them under the rug and hope their bodies don't pop up. I feel like the disappeared sounds like a HBO uh, hits show. Yeah. Uh, like not like something that happened to like a lot of people. It's the story of the leftovers, but mm. from the people that disappeared <laughs> perspective. Who the hell named them that disappeared? Like people investigating this? Uh, exiles and Amnesty International mm. investigators. Mm. They it, they had to come up with some kind of word for them because there was just in the army alone, there was 16,000 that oh were unaccounted God. for. We talked about last week. I suppose if they, you know, go disappeared then you don't have to be like yeah we killed them exactly they just are yep. missing yeah they jeez just a lot of people go missing in uganda <laughs> a lot of people went on a uh, holiday apparently <laughs> <laughs> this report was published around the same time a boti 2 was reaching a means kill total high score and about to take it into the stratosphere but of course this report couldn't know that at the time Amin was bummed out about all the criticism he was receiving from foreign powers, specifically Britain, regarding his human rights record. So in 1974, he set up the Commission of Enquiry into the Disappearance of People in Uganda since 25 January 1971. That's the official title. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, January 25th, 71 is the day they is the day uh, Amin came to power. That's like the yeah. Okay, a little wordy. We could work on the um the branding a little bit. You could cut that down by a few. <laughs> you can definitely take out some words. So they just call it I killed these people, but I'm setting up a fake organization act make it look like I care to, so I look better on the world stage. Since 25 January 1975. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I like that better. It's got a better <laughs> ring to it. Between July 1st, 1974 and January 2nd, 1975, the commission took evidence and interviewed witnesses before writing their report and sending it on to Amin. They heard the testimony of 545 people and succeeded in documenting 308 cases of disappearances, also stating that this was only a fraction of the total. This internal investigation was so surprisingly non-biased, even with the limited scope the commission was given, that it's still talked about to this day internationally. In conclusion, they found the Public Safety Unit and the State Research Bureau, which of course only answered to a mean, were responsible for the brunt of the disappearances. So he actually allowed them to look this deeply into this. He didn't know. He oh. didn't know that it was going to be so like non-biased. <laughs> he thought they he thought they had his back. That's right. 
The members of the commission didn't fare very well after the report was written. The chairman, a Pakistani judge, didn't get his contract renewed and was deported back to Pakistan. Two other members were police superintendents. One was framed for murder and executed, and the other fled the country to avoid a similar fate. Hmm, Okay, well, I guess he, he wasn't happy with the results. Can you imagine if Steve Jobs did this every time the stocks fell? I, he pretty he much ex- did. <laughs> just executed him. Or if something didn't look absolutely the way he wanted it to, he would just say, get get out of here. You're <laughs> fucking gone. <laughs> Apart from just the deaths, Amin's forces definitely carried out an uncountable number of beatings and tortures. The Amnesty International report based on Ugandan exiles finds... Nearly all prisoners were severely tortured. Most either died under torture or were killed in other ways. Prisoners were ordered at gunpoint to kill other prisoners. In this method, prisoners were lined up and one was given a hammer with orders to beat a prisoner to death and then hand the hammer to the next man to beat him to death and so on with the last survivor being shot to death. Prisoners' bodies were dumped in rivers and forests. Occasionally, the mutilated bodies would be returned to relatives upon payment of a large bribe. There you go. It's funny. We I was just talking about the Romans, and yep. then <laughs> this is literally what they're doing, but uh, much like Jeff, I think his name's Jeff Wilson, or Je- Jason, Jeff Wilson, yeah, uh, he took it and doubled it. Yes, Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> I mean this isn't a decimation. This is an eradication. Eradication, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit! This story at some point was uh, considered dubious. Like some people said that didn't happen, but finally enough exiles said that's exactly what happened. That it's uh, it's 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 proven to be true. The hammer story. Okay, Qu- uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this shit. That exact shit happens in um, the work camps in North Korea, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. they force them to kill each other and mm-hmm. stuff? Yeah, Saves bullets. I guess, but so fucked up. And can you imagine having to pay a large bribe to get a hammer-murdered death victim of your son or daughter back? Well, I mean, technically, you have to pay a large bribe from the funeral home to have them buried in a proper casket. Right? That is the truth. <laughs> we just don't call it a bribe. We call it uh, a <laughs> memorial for your loved ones. Much more influential than Amin's own truth commission was the International Court of Justice's 1974 report titled Violations of Human Rights and the Rule of Law in Uganda which was the first major international investigation to consider his crimes in detail. The Hammer story came from this report, but the report also has its fair share of inaccuracies and conjecture, because from the mid-70s onwards, with closures of Western embassies and the exile of so many Ugandans, especially the literate, educated ones, it made it difficult to impossible to get accurate first-hand accounts inside the country. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. You're dealing off a lot of reports of very salty people that they are not allowed in their own country anymore. Kind of like um, our negative reviews. Like, they're just salty people who are going out of their way to make up shit about us, which is not true. And all they have to do is email us or Instagram us, and we will talk to them. (laughs) We're not too cool to talk to you, sir. Actually, this kind of reminds me of... uh, So, I decided to make a big purchase because Borderlands 3 was on sale. Mm. And there's so many negative reviews, 
but tucked in there's some good ones. And you know the negative ones are just put there from salty people mm-hmm. who probably didn't get their loot. So this is kind of the same thing. And from people who, who think old boy's a creep. Right. Whatever his name is. Oh, yeah, he is a creep. Randy. Pitchford. Pitchford, yeah, mm-hmm. he is a creep. Mm-hmm. Even so, many to most of the killings in the ICJ report probably happened. What the author of the book, Mark Leopold, suggests is this. There is an ethical distinction between someone who plans and carries out atrocious acts and someone whose incompetence and carelessness about the consequences enables others to get away with such actions. It's like the difference between murder and manslaughter. Mm. In essence, the same thing. It just is the intention. Yes. Like Hitler created a company. He, he, he made the nation rise up and mobilize for war. Mm. Uh, you can't compare him to Hitler because this is chaotic, like ruthlessness. That's mostly from having no plan on a means part. Right. He's just kind of like, you guys handle it. Mm-hmm. You guys kill who you need mm-hmm. to do. I don't really care what you do. I'll just kind of look the other way. Mm-hmm. Uganda continued its downward spiral through 1975. Amin's ruthless, oppressive tactics were failing to turn the economy around and were in fact doing the opposite. Amin increasingly put his focus on international affairs. According to several Ugandan commentators, 1975 was the year the killings went into overdrive and the country started disintegrating. Amin kept flip-flopping with the British, sometimes seeming to want to patch things up, while at the same time doing things that annoyed them intensely. A good example of this is a telegram Amin sent to the Queen announcing his desire to visit the country again. <laughs> Your Majesty, you are, no doubt, kept abreast with the great strides in the economic fields Uganda has made since I asked your authorities to assume responsibility over your nationals of Asian extraction who had vowed to perpetually dominate and share the economic diversity of Uganda for their own selfish and situational aims. Since I gave the directive that non-citizen Asians of British nationality return to their motherland Britain, so much has taken place and so much has been said. The economic war which we have been fighting tooth and nail has been honorably won. This is a fact, not a fuss. We have encountered a parade of intricate peoples on our road to economic independence and the consolidation of our political sovereignty. Now the dust is settling, or should I say, has settled. I have now the time to relax a bit. Consequently, I've decided to spend my economic war honeymoon in England on August 4th, 1975. Your Majesty, it is ardently hoped and expected that you will, through various agencies, arrange for me so that I can visit Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I should like the chance to talk to these people who are struggling for self-determination and independence from your political and economic system. And those were the three countries in uh trying to get independence as well, by the way. Oh. Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I mean, uh, one of them still is trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shall also be obliged if arrangements are made for me to meet and exchange views with the non-citizen Asians of British nationality that I rooted out of this country in September of 1972 because of our unequivocal determination to rid Uganda of economic slavery and loyalty to corruption. During my stay in your country, I shall have the chance to meet my old colleagues and friends. Now that Uganda is, beyond a doubt, economically free and politically sovereign, my proposed visit to your country will be a good omen in the direction of normalizing relations between us and the British. I am sending this message early so that you may have ample time to help arrange all that is required for my comfortable stay in your country. I look forward to meeting you, Your Majesty, General Idi Amin Dada, 
president of the Republic of Uganda. You know, little known fact, actually, our fans will like, uh, this was written in crayon and sent to her. (laughs) (laughs) He's just trolling the shit out of her. Yeah, it's... I wanted, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. He's kind of a dick, to be honest with you. It's, it's so smart. This mm. is the, this is some smart shit, and we'll get into it. Mm. Okay, all right. I, you have to imagine somebody helped them write this. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's, this is called this. What he's doing right now is called the dead cat tactic, and we will get to what that means in a few minutes ooh, here. Okay. This hilarious telegram caused an uproar in the private communications of high echelon British officials. They were going crazy about whether to even respond or not, and that distracted them from what was actually happening in Uganda. Amin was getting global publicity for himself and boosting his image in Africa as an anti-imperialist and world statesman. (laughs) So all these human rights reports are coming out about him. So he makes this crazy telegram about how he's going to visit the British in three months. And that makes them spend all their time worrying about trying to, to stop him from coming instead of worrying about their human rights violations. Gotcha. Okay, that is very smart. I just envision like people in Britain reading this and then like their pants fell below their belly buttons and oh. it's just like you oh. knew they were upset. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just steaming. Oh yeah. <laughs> Crikey. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to quit making fun of British people so much in this series. According to So Scandalous. Yes. yes yeah. We uh, so I apologize. She wanted us to me to try Yorkshire accent. D- did you look up to a Yorkie uh, accent? No, no, but we'll we'll be covering a British person soon enough, so Perfect. I'm not we're going to save it for that. Perfect. The next brush up with the UK was a little more jarring than some playful jabs in a telegram. It would go on to be called the Dennis Hills affair. Hills was a British school teacher working in Uganda, and in April 1975, he was arrested and charged with espionage and sedition. He had written a memoir called The White Pumpkin and he used quite a few derogatory phrases to describe Amin and his cronies. Okay, is that the smartest thing to do while you're in Uganda and he's in charge? It's not what I would do. No. Uh, I don't want to end up in an Amin gulag, which I'm sure is <laughs> is not great. I like I like the title, though. That's uh, kind of cute. The, the White, White Pumpkin. P- I feel like it's something you'd find in like a child's library. Yeah. The White Pumpkin, <laughs> and or, it has all this racist shit in there. Yeah, it's like a clan <laughs> manual. <laughs> I mean, it's better than that Caterpillar one they're always having kids oh, read. What man. is that one? That's my favorite book of all time. I love that guy's art style. I forget his name, though. Yeah. The it, Little Caterpillar. His art was reminding me of those, like, stamps you kind of paint the wall with. What I don't know what they Big call Big heads? Them. No, you, like, it was a style for a while. They had, like, a sponge, and you dip it in there, and then you paint patterns on mm-hmm. the wall. I know, it, it's kind of out of style, but sometimes houses from, like, the early 90s, mm-hmm. you'll still see it. You see, like, bubbles or, like, moons or, like, stuff like that. We had little ducks at my we parents' house. Yeah, along oh, the top yeah. of the wall, yeah. Do you still have them? Ah, uh, no, they got, they got painted over. Following a trial that resembled a court-martial more than anything, hmm. Hills was found guilty and sentenced to die by firing squad. Britain tried and failed to persuade Amin to release him. With only one day left until execution, Amin said, Hey, since the queen is is my close personal friend, I'll spare Hill's life if Her Majesty begs and apologizes on Hill's behalf. The Brits instead sent Amin's old commanding officer from the KAR, who carried a signed letter by the queen herself. 
This was at first refused, and Britain was forced to send the foreign secretary, along with seven senior officials, to beg even harder. Okay, honest question, though. Isn't this a good way to start a war? That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Executing nationals, foreign yeah, nationals. I, and I imagine around this time, Britain's probably got a lot of allies and like oh, yeah. with the UN. They're cash and... poor, but they have... <laughs> They are a Western first world country. They're you know, just cash poor. You know, America was just like scratching for a war at this point. So Hell yeah. Or no, were they still in Vietnam oh, technically? Oh, we were, we were just yeah. getting started in okay. Vietnam. Okay, all right. Well, I'm sure they would have wanted more fighting. Mm-hmm. When they arrived, Amin went into his old speech about how he's always respected the British people who had educated, trained, and turned him into a man. This is why, he said, it hurt him so deeply when British writers made fun of him and and humiliated him in the press. After Amin got this off his chest, a dazed and confused Hills was released to the senior officials and allowed to leave the country after 102 days in Amin's jail. The Hills case kept the British distracted for the first half of 1975, which was perfect for Amin, who had internal matters to attend to at the time. So this was another distraction. Another dead cat. And okay. and when and when the officials came, the official British, he he oh, I love the British. They're such a great people. I love your customs. I love everything. And then he releases the guy he was about to fucking murder. I mean at, by this point, they have to know he's full of shit. God, but that's a gamble they can't take with one of right. their citizens uh, uh, set right, for death. Right, right, On January 6th, Amin attacked his ministers and civil servants, blaming them for the country's current economic crisis. Twelve days later, the finance minister fled the country, followed shortly by the foreign minister. Taking over these positions himself... Amin organized a national conference to deal with the subjects of overcharging, hoarding, corruption, and smuggling. In April, he nationalized all unused land and fired a bunch of police lieutenants. So basically, he has now became the Bill O'Brien of Uganda. Do you know him? The Bill O'Brien? Not the the news guy? No. Fuck the- it, we'll do it live? <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. Is that guy? Uh, no, he was the head coach for the Texans. Uh-huh. He essentially ended up taking over control of everything, uh-huh. general manager, and now they are a dumpster fire. Yes. And they just released J.J. Watt, and their star quarterback wants the hell out of town, so. J.J. Watt, a uh, franchise fucking player for the Texans. Mm, Gone. I wish the Vikings could get him, but he's not coming here. That would be great. He wants a super. I heard he's going to go to the Bucks. so. There's that. They need more talent, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, um, so generally it's not a good idea to just start taking over positions like this. And when you're not even close to qualifying for the ones that you already have. And now you're now you're adding more. I love how I mean, it's no surprise. He seems to be blaming people for his own shortcomings. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's the easiest way for these uh, dudes to maintain their power, I suppose. Blame it on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Shovel that shit downhill. Mm -hmm. In July, Amin attended two Organization for African Unity meetings and was elected chairman. Towards the end of August, Amin went on a chairman tour of OAU states, starting with Ethiopia, which was the first country in the entire world to recognize his rule, and Libya, where he had an emergency tonsillectomy. You gotta get those taken out. They're just little time bombs. Especially as you age, mm. they it, it only gets more dangerous. <laughs> I had them ripped out when I was five, and I don't miss them. I'm surprised 
someone who was uh, taken care of by a seven-headed demon when he's a baby, that thing didn't just... Was it a dragon? Serpent. Serpent. Yeah, Nakan, the seven-headed yeah. serpent. I think that thing would have just taken his uh, appendix and that and whatever el- other organs he didn't need out at that time. Gallbladder, mm-hmm. right? Appendix. Mm-hmm. I mean, the gallbladder does have a function, but you can live without it. Right. It's not completely useless. One of them was for when we used to eat grass or something, wasn't it? <laughs> and now it doesn't work anymore. It's so just wait, worthless. So like the hippies or the urban foragers, are they like slowly growing them back then? Hopefully. Or I mean, utilizing hopefully. them. Yeah, because mm. that's just a spare part for that does nothing but kill you. Dude, that'd be, be pretty sweet if like two of those people got married and have a kid. And like over generations, their teeth slowly turn like perfectly square, like a cow's again. Hell yeah! So they can start eating grass. Hell yeah! Let's get some herbivore people here. <laughs> and they can't drink water; only crafted IPAs. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> September was filled with even more foreign travel: Italy, Algeria, Somalia, Ethiopia again, Zaire, and the Congo. In October, Amin visited the USA for the first time to address the UN, at which point the British ambassador stormed out. Then he returned to the Middle East, visiting Kuwait, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. Hmm, okay, so they I wonder where he went in America outside of a Globetrotters game. It was just to wherever the UN was meeting at the time. Gotcha, so he's just in and out. He didn't spend too much time mm, here, no. Okay. While he was away, he tried dealing with the economic situation of Uganda the same way he always had, dissolving government bodies and creating new ones with new, increasingly unqualified ministers. Okay, I'm just going to say, that sounds exactly like somebody. Donnie? Yes, he kept doing this over and over and over. He even tried to do it in like the last two days he was in office. Donald Trump, Dana White, and... Edie Amin share one thing in common, and that's they say outright lies with so much conviction that it convinces people and themselves that it's true. You put Dana in that category. Dana White huh? is that uh, okay. incarnate. Everybody, <laughs> ever since Tito Ortiz joined the UFC, he's been saying he's the dumbest man of all time, and I agreed with him because uh, he looks dumb, he sounds dumb when he talks, and he married Jenna Jameson or whatever, but guy's not that dumb. He's pretty smart. Dana just, he just repeats things and tries to make them true with his words. You know, if he thinks that guy's dumb, has he ever talked to that guy who beat um, Connor? Khabib? No. Um, the Nick something. Oh, yeah, Nick Diaz. Holy yeah. shit, I well, heard Well, Nate that. Diaz. Nate Diaz, yeah, yeah, I heard him talk, and I'm just like... <laughs> I'm just like... I'm, you need to quit fighting immediately because I think you have brain damage yeah. setting in. His brother Nick is no better. Really, Nate and Nick, I don't. Yeah. Maybe I don't know if maybe it's just something else, but it just sounds like they have like onset of early brain damage. Yep. Yep. Yikes! I wouldn't want to be putting an armbar by him. My but, my uh, favorite is he doesn't know I'm the baddest motherfucker in here. I'm just like you can't even insult somebody correctly, sir. No, you sound stop dumb. fighting. You just Please, sound dumb. stop fighting. Gosh. On November 1st, Amin warned government officials against mistreating the population. Twelve days later, he banned elephant hunting in an effort to cut down on ivory smuggling, and ten more days later, he started a crusade against currency smugglers. Okay, and this is a big problem, huh? Huge. Mm. Both people taking money out and bringing money in. Gotcha. 
None of these measures did anything to improve Uganda economically or politically. Internationally, he was playing his old chess match politics. On Halloween 1975, Amin made a speech praising the Soviet Union for its assistance to Uganda and developing nations in general. On November 9th, Amin was publicly chastising the Soviets and their supporters, threatening to break ties altogether. Two days later, Amin demanded the Soviets replace their ambassador to U to Uganda, and the following day, he held a huge party in honor of the USSR. Here's the thing. Are they even listening at this point? Well, this was confusing, okay. Okay. and uh, the Russians needed a break from this chaos. So the day of the party, the Soviets temporarily broke off diplomatic relations, which made the British's ears perk up, especially when in a surprise announcement, Amin agreed to compensate the UK for the expelled Asians. Can you see what he's doing here? Well, yeah, it's just, it, he sounds like an adult woman who forgets that, you know, I don't I just keep like uh, talking to random people and dumping them and it's just, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Like, the ones just, that are more than willing to try and manipulate people yeah, <laughs> off it's just each other. Like, I quit talking to me, and then three days later, hey, you can talk. I guess why dude, am, dudes why probably you talk to me. Uh, dudes or girls do this, obviously. Mind it, games. Yeah, just yeah. like this is a mean doing this to um, international superpowers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine if they had texting at this point. He'd be the most <laughs> annoying dude on the planet. Hey, you up? <laughs> hey, you up? I kind of wish though Donald and him were around at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know they'd be best buds. Yeah, I mean, he was hanging out with Kim Jong-un the whole time. <laughs> Dude, it was so cringy. That guy who was writing a book about Trump, he said, I tried to talk to him about politics, and he wouldn't shut up about how uh, proud of himself he was for talking to Kim Jong-un. I'm like, right. yeah. I, I think there's a little more important things to do than talk to that dude. Yikes. We had some things to do internally other than extend a bridge of friendship to a terrible, hardcore regime. So, okay. So, are you hinting at Amin is, I don't know, talking to and ghosting people repeatedly for a purpose? Yes. Okay. For his right. attention. Now, do uh, emotional terrorists do this? This is <laughs> Gaslighting 101. <laughs> what reason do they do do it for? Because it's the only way it makes those psychopaths feel alive. Do they want... Soviet weapons, perhaps. Does a 16-year-old girl want Soviet weapons, perhaps? I think it's definitely in her subconscious. That's what she's. Mm. That's what the main goal she is, wants... but she doesn't even know that yet. <laughs> she wants fighter jets and yeah. everything. Okay. She wants MiG-17s and C-130 Hercules. Now, and every time that person who broke your heart says, quit talking to me, you'll know they just want a Soviet arsenal. They're just waiting for Khrushchev <laughs> to write them back. <laughs> The Brits were hard up for cash at the time and needed that almighty dollar, so they decided to eat Amin's confusing humor for a time with dreams of fat checks floating through their heads. They wouldn't take shit for very long, however. 1976 saw the final break with Britain, and really the entire Western world. It started in July with the famous Entebbe raid. This single event would cement Amin's legacy as an evil dictator. When the situation started, though, it had little to nothing to do with Amin. Before we get there, however, let's take a look of what was happening with Amin's government in 1976 up to that fated July day. I don't have a good, good uh, feeling. In January, Amin cut a $1 million check to the Indian government for the relocation of Asian non-citizens in 1972. He gave the Brits zilch 
despite his promises. In February, Radio Uganda broadcast the president's claims that the Kagera salient of Tanzania rightly belonged to Uganda. Relations with his neighbor states continued to fall apart. Amin was now laying claims to parts of Kenya as well as Tanzania as of June and accusing the country of collusion with Israel. The Kenyans retaliated by blockading Ugandan goods out of the port at Mombasa, which was the primary route to get Ugandan goods out into the world. Mm, not, Not the smartest move here. On July 25th, Amin sent a telegram to the UN and OAU complaining that Kenyan authorities were blocking the export of oil and commodities, thus threatening the Ugandan economy. On August 6th, Kenya and Uganda signed a memo of understanding in which Amin agreed to pay a tax to Kenya to use Mombasa, an agreement which was never needed before Amin started trying to steal territory. Meanwhile, the USSR relationship meter was rising quickly again. They were pumping weapons and training officers in. The communist Cubans opened an embassy in Kampala, not to mention the Arab world, which continued pumping cash into Uganda. The British were seriously contemplating assassination. Foreign Secretary Dr. Owen had this to say. I'm going to try British. Yes. When when I was too... <laughs> can't do it. When I was totally frustrated by... The, I can't. Are I you keep southern? Going southern. <laughs> when I was totally frustrated by the inability to stop Amin's massacres, I contemplated his assassination and discussed it with this senior diplomat at MI6. Hell yeah. Was it... Okay, MI6, James Bond, yep, all of that. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I had heard this from like other soldiers or whatever. Like certain dictators in the world, they could have killed them in a split second, but obviously it's not always that easy. Oh no! There's a lot of repercussions for doing that. Fuck! World War One happened because of that. Right? They killed right. one one archduke, and the entire world descended into madness. Right? You can't be clipping international leaders just because you don't like them. What if he clipped them, but like? British never claimed them. They never found out who did it. And I'm sure that's happened mm-hmm. all over the world millions right. of times. Yeah, Right. I'm pretty sure that's what happened to um, what's his, John Lennon. Oh. Yeah. You know he was MI6. You know uh, what's his name? I can't even think of it now. Yoko Ono. <laughs> well, you know for sure she was an MI6 <laughs> double agent. We know that for certain. <laughs> Who's, oh, the guy that killed him? Yeah. He's got like a very unique name. I remember I that. And I keep thinking John Ritter. That's the only thing <laughs> popping in my head. Well, I mean, come on. You know he killed him for sure. Three's Company. He I was mean. the best actor of our generation. Oh, yeah. And he he just dressed up like that guy and killed him. And then they blamed it on some crazy guy reading that Catcher in the Rye book. Easy peasy yeah, Japanese, as we easy. say. Yoko is giving him a thumbs up as he's taking off. Mm-hmm. It's in the picture. <laughs> MI6 turned him down, however. No one knows if it was because of morality or because the British state was in no position to go around clipping African leaders. On June 25th, Amin was declared president for life of Uganda. Mm. Three days later, an Air France flight from Tel Aviv to Paris was hijacked by members of Palestinian radical group called the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, mixed together with an extreme German terrorist group. The hijackers forced the plane to land at Entebbe, where they held the passengers hostage. German, Germany and Palestine teaming up, huh? A weird, a weird a team weird, up. 
I feel like that's like the Confederates and like I don't know Canadian Mounties. something and Mounties team. Like it's just so weird. Yeah, it's not. I don't it, know. It's very strange. They both hated Israel. Mm. That was uh, that was Maybe a that's common. What it was. That's a common. Uh, that's the common uh, link there. They don't like the Jewish. <laughs> Have you ever seen the SNL skit Black Jeopardy? No, I have. And they not. have the the one MAGA guy playing on there with them, and they realize they actually have a lot in common, or something. or they like like the same things, or talk the same, or something. I don't know. It's it's really funny. I used to snoop around on uh like white supremacy mm. websites because mm. I wanted to know what it was about. There was usually like two threads that said N word hating. Like Ooh. it was it was de- it was devoted to that, and the rest of it was like cooking tips, movie <laughs> reviews, and like shit like that. Like, I don't think Interstellar held up. Like, this is a white power website. Well, what I you mean, idiots you, doing? They have to get bored of saying hate eventually. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you everybody around the world has to connect with another human in some world. And apparently, uh, they, you know, connected by not liking Interstellar. By hatred. Mm, and Interstellar. I, mm-hmm. Hatred of Interstellar, I've, not black I've people. never seen, I've heard it's very confusing. It sucks. It sucks. You might as well just call it the astronaut in the bookcase. It sucks. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. Christopher Nolan, he makes beautiful, beautiful mm. movies, mm. but he can't write, and he shouldn't be a writer, because fucking Inception's terrible. You know what? I didn't mind no, it. No, it, it sucks. That sucks. How about Watchmen? That's not Christopher Nolan. That's not his directing? Oh, it's Zack Snyder, dude. The Zack Snyder. Yeah. Okay. Schneider. Zack okay. Schneider. That's um, Rob's dad? Is that who <laughs> yeah, it is? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> On July 3rd, Israeli paratroopers stormed the plane and killed all hijackers while losing only one Israeli soldier. All hostages were released except for a dual citizenship British-Israeli woman named Dora Block who required immediate medical treatment at a Kampala hospital. The British High Commission requested to see her the next week but were refused access. She had become one of the disappeared. Weird. Okay, what the hell happened to her? Finally, on July 10th, Uganda responded saying, We have no knowledge whatsoever of Miss Block's whereabouts. Uganda-UK relations fell to an all-time low, somehow even worse than non-existent. (laughs) Various British diplomats were kicked out of the country on the grounds of colluding with the Israelis over the Entebbe raid. And on July 27th, two British nationals were arrested for spying. On July 28th, Britain had enough, and for the first time since 1946, broke off all ties with a country. The long-lasting love-hate relationship with Britain was finally done for good. Mm. This is a perfect synonym, or no, pseudonym for, no, is that what I'm saying? For uh, a toxic relationship right here. Synonym. Maybe analogy. Analogy. A pseudonym is a pen name. Okay, yes. Uh, uh, Yeah, sometimes you just gotta... I feel like they should have cut ties quite a long time ago. You gotta block. Uh, you gotta block it. Uh-huh. You gotta unfriend it. You, you gotta delete it. from Facebook. Uh-huh. You gotta lawyer up, and you gotta hit the gym. <laughs> that was, so, Britain, you should have been hitting the gym at this point. Lawyer up and hit the gym, Britain. I don't, they're very uh, scrangly people. Oh yeah. Uh, so you should have been hitting the. That's fine. Maybe their version of gyms like tea and crumpets. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe British. T- because British television really started to take off around this time. Maybe that's why. Well, it infected your mother. <laughs> I know you're indoctrinating her. Maybe that's their new form of colonialism. They're getting uh, middle-aged women 
to uh, enjoy their television. Well, it's perfect. If it's they... going to be like their lolly lule low. Like they're going <laughs> to say that and they're going to grab rifles. They're just going to like make Union a, Jacks. They're going to make a sound and then middle aged women with Brit Box rise are up. rise up and take over the United States. <laughs> Actually, the whole world. Yeah. That's the true NWO oh, yeah. Brit Box and oh, Acorn yeah. TV. Have you ever seen the the show on PBS that's called like This Old Castle or something? <laughs> no. Where there's like a crazy guy and his wife and they buy this chateau in France and they're fixing it up to do uh weddings. Mm-hmm. You should uh you should look into it. I'm sure your mom's watched every episode on Britbox. I'm guessing so. Any show she can name it. It's a pretty good show. Mm. In early 1977, Amin turned his attention to the religions of the country. Much earlier, Amin had abolished smaller denominations, supporting only one official Muslim organization. As for the Christians, Catholicism and Anglican were the only allowed sects. Under these rules, religious leaders were relatively free to express their views so long as it related to religion somehow. But on February 5th, 1977, the pressure was cranked mm. up. Cra- <laughs> the Crossroads isn't going to make it. No, Crossroads <laughs> Church. You can keep your shitty plugged-in acoustic guitar. <laughs> Soldiers burst into the house of Anglican Archbishop Janani Luam and interrogated him at gunpoint about an alleged plot to overthrow Amin. This sent Uganda's bishops into a fervor. They crafted an open letter to be given to Amin. The letter went far beyond criticizing the current issue and condemned almost his entire regime. Okay, I don't see a bishop overtaking uh, Uganda, but okay. <sighs> That's true. I, <laughs> I would say that would be the last person on the power I, structure. Look, to get to a bishop, you're probably going to be... Osteoporosis is going to be setting in. Right. I don't know what the fuck this guy's going to do. Yeah, you're like the... Uh, you ever play Halo 2? Yeah. You know those guys in the floaty chairs? <laughs> that's you. That's a mean. Or that's well, uh, see, not that's the bishop. That's definitely me in a few years. <laughs> that's <much>. you. No, <laughs> that's the bishop. Man, you tell me I look good, huh? <laughs> I do like those guys. I especially like when you have to get on one of them and just like punch the shit out of them. <laughs> Maybe that's what these soldiers did to this bishop. <laughs> just got on him and started punching the shit out of him in his flying chair. <laughs> A week later, Amin called a meeting between the army and all of the bishops in the country. It was required for them to be there. There, he doubled down on his claims that Luam was involved in the plan and ordered him arrested, where he was promptly disappeared, along with two cabinet members who had bravely signed the archbishop's open letter. A Ugandan government spokesman blamed a motor vehicle accident. Mm, Yeah, that's usually how it goes. For many Ugandans, this was the low point in their nation's history. Long-standing secretary for both Abodi and Amin said the killing occurred because a coup was being plotted by the Koli and Langi exiles in Nairobi. The archbishop was asked to join and declined. He was killed for not telling Amin of this. Oh, Jesus. They That's just what... openly said that. Yep. Okay, you should have informed me of that. That's what... Uh, okay, all right. That's it's all it was. Somebody asked him to join a, a, an exile group, and he said, no thank you, and he was killed just for not speaking up to the authorities about it. It's like if the fucking cardinal of a Catholic church decided he's going to become a pastor for a cool church, uh-huh. and then they just execute him for uh-huh. that. They just string him up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, understandable, because Catholics' number, numbers are dwindling, but that man... 
That cool priest is very charismatic. Hey, he they're still over. Flips. They're still over a billion strong. So I don't fucking. <laughs> I have no hate. I have no feeling bad for the cat. I guess if you can convince that many people around the world to uh, like role play cannibalism every week, yeah, uh, you're doing something right, yeah. right. Just eat a little body, drink a little blood, <laughs> get down tonight. Fuck yeah. Luam's murder soured many relationships with countries that had been friends of Amin, including Jamaica, Zambia, and Ghana, who all publicly condemned the murder. Yeah, they don't really like you when you kill politi- or, uh, religious figures. That's a big like no-no. That. Yeah. That's the worldwide, that's a big no-no. Yeah. Two days later, Amin used his new tactic to distract the British attention from the situation. He announced his intention to attend a Commonwealth meeting in June. Over the next three months, Britain was 100% concerned with how to keep Amin out. Operation Bottle involved the Army, Navy, Air Force, civilian air traffic control, police, and MI6. A detailed operational plan was produced, including rules of engagement, which outlined circumstances in which the Army could openly fire on Amin's party. By May 26th, one week before the Commonwealth Conference was due to take place, the plans were complete. A summary on the cover page of the thick document read, What instructions are? 1. Draw up plans to ensure a means exclusion. 2. To cover action to be taken if a, <laughs> a mean lands in Britain. 3. Ensure no hotel in London accepts bookings from a mean. Mm. So they're just... Okay, alright. So I'm starting to get the impression that the British are basically like um, you know, young kittens. They like they see a little ball moving up here, and they instantly look at that instead of what you're doing. In the other hand, how easy is it? <laughs> how easy is it to put one over on the fucking British? Mm, I they get- just killed a church, an Anglican church archbishop, and there, and then he wrote a funny little memo about he's coming to the conference. You know what's sad, honestly, and honestly, I feel really bad for Britons uh, for this. They literally just did this with Brexit. They distracted <laughs> him, and then, honestly, they did. If you really think about it, that crazy-haired motherfucker and Boris. his posse, uh, that's what they did to the poor British people. Absolutely. Yeah. Their attention was elsewhere. <laughs> Operation Bottle covered every scenario. All scheduled flights from Uganda were diverted away from Heathrow to a smaller airfield to be thoroughly searched by police. If he were to use his personal plane... It will be interrogated upon entering British airspace, told it has no permission to be here or land here, and to state its intentions. If the plane insists on landing, National Air Traffic Control will accept it and seek to land the plane at a military airfield. The first objective would be to try and convince Amin to leave as soon as possible without disembarking. Only if refused to do so would we contemplate a removal by the Royal Air Force. Hell yeah. You can't fuck with that Royal Air Force, man. And that uh, removal would involve guns what? and storming his plane. I feel, what kind of plane is he coming in? I'm just envisioning Dude, soul has, plane, but... Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> but... He has a dope-ass uh, private jet that was given mm. to him by the uh, Saudis. I just envision it's like painted all crazy oh. and like... Snoop Dogg's yeah. the pilot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, so, you know what I was thinking about this whole thing? He's kind of benefiting from the year... Because literally you could you could not pull this shit off like in modern day. 
news is too widespread, too much technology. You could not lie like this. But in this time, I mean, even commercial flights weren't, they were used, but not that much. So they had really no idea if he could be coming in or not. Yep. You know. Yep. And the, 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 the crazy thing is, you hit it right on the head. Mm. If there was social media, mm. as soon as there's human rights violations, if the country doesn't shut off oh, going yeah. internet, that shit is fucking reported on immediately. There's tweets, there's Instagram videos, right the fuck Do, away. Well, you know, uh, Myanmar, uh, yep, Myanmar, Myanmar's uh, shut off internet in the country. There you go. Uh, still getting videos out. Yes. So, you, you, you can, can only shut off so much internet. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much everywhere. I made a good joke this week. We were talking about chest hair. Uh-huh. And because mine's like a thick sheet going down. Uh-huh. And I said, I have a highway. Or no, I said, so the guy's like, oh, so a highway. I said, yeah, mine's the 15 lane high my highway in Myanmar, <laughs> Myanmar, whatever, uh, going down. That's how thick that bad boy is. Dude, that shit is so funny. Dark tourist went there mm. and like he was like, there's nobody driving on this road. I can just walk all I th- over. I think I saw it on, uh, I think it was like the Daily Show was covering it when that uh, one lady won the election. Mm-hmm. So, and they're talking about that crazy fucking highway mm-hmm. that nobody uses. Nope. It's just a giant highway. <laughs> But hey, I wish I had that here. I know. The document also had plans for if Amin landed in Scotland and outlined above all to keep the operation secret. Of course, Amin never showed up and probably had never planned to. If he knew how much this plan worked to piss off the Brits, he would have been pretty damn proud of himself. Mm, I was just envisioning if he lands in Scotland, just the the Scots are just going to pull their uh, their dresses up and moon his plane. Yeah, yeah. moon uh-huh. his plane, uh-huh. old school style. Dude, he loves Scotland. Does he? Yeah. He, when he went there When he went there on, the first, uh, on his first trip to UK, when things were still okay between him and the Brits, Scotland put on a hell of a performance. Really? You should watch... There's a movie. It's called The Last King of Scotland. It's about Edie Amin, and it has Forrest Whitaker as Edie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's okay. uh, it's it's fairly not true. A lot of it, <laughs> you know, but it's. I good. mean, yeah, that's what movies do generally. Yeah, you got to have a, a mm. good story. Back in Uganda, following the Archbishop's assassination, Amin announced there had been an attempted Langi and Acholi mutiny. On February 25th, 1977, he summoned all Americans in Uganda to a meeting temporarily banning them from leaving the country due to the mutiny. Four days later, the restrictions were lifted. Wait, what did the Americans have to do with them? They, it was for their safety. Oh, yeah, so okay. So that they, didn't, they weren't killed in the crossfire. Gotcha. But I it mean, was really just a hold. Can you blame the mutiny, though? Like, no. wasn't he just wiping them yes. particularly out? Yes. Fuck. Absolutely. He, he, yes, absolutely. International condemnation continued to pile up, At the end of February, the All-African Council of Churches called for an end to the despicable silence over Amin's atrocities. On March 6th, the last Anglican bishop was removed from the country. On September 20th, Amin banned 27 more religious organizations, including the Salvation Army. Thus began a new wave of arrests, disappearances, and outright executions, along with prominent Ugandans escaping over the course of that year. So basically, the more he loses control of what he wants to do, he either kills them or gets them the fuck out of there. Bans or kills them, absolutely. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Several attempted invasions of the country were reported in 1977, according to Radio Uganda, 
including one where Amin declared that 2,600 American, Israeli, and British mercenaries were massing at the border in Kenya. And this was not true. It was just uh, propaganda flailing. Okay. All right. Amin's international support kept dwindling, and he went on far fewer world trips that year. Gaddafi remained his main financial supporter, with the Soviet Union as their largest national creditor. Uganda continued to survive economically thanks to the booming international price on coffee at the moment, which was 90% of Uganda's exports. Amin even paid off some debt and got a good rating from the IMF. <laughs> Unfortunately, coffee peaked in April of that year and decreased by 50% by the end of the year. He just needed to hold out another, like, 20 years till Starbucks and Caribou came along. That Ugandan blue or whatever it's called? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good coffee. It is. Amin came out the gate swinging in 1978 with a flurry of international visits and inflammatory statements. Right away, he visited Kuwait, where he met with members of a Zimbabwe liberation group and offered them training and support. At the end of January, he signed a technical and economic cooperation agreement with the Soviets and once again announced to the UK that he was going to come to London to discuss misunderstandings. Mm. But his tactics were going largely ignored. His international allies were running as far away as they could. A special closed session of the UN Commission on Human Rights finally agreed to launch a formal investigation of abuses in Uganda. This time, no one tried to block the investigation. Not the Arabs, not the Soviets, not even any of his African allies, though they all continued to make friendly gestures towards Amin in public. Well, yeah, they don't want to be killed, obviously. Some, some two-faced bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wouldn't you... Oh, yeah. Your, your two options were be nice to say things nice about Amin or become a disappeared. Yeah, not not the best options. Or just get roasted by him, too. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, he's heartless. <laughs> In March, Amin signed a few trade deals, and Qatar promised him $5 million for road construction. Russia got Amin to sign a cultural and scientific cooperation plan, making the doomsday clock tick ever closer to Uganda falling into the hands of communism. In June, Uganda was given $6.4 million by the Arab Developmental Economic Fund of Abu Dhabi, but five days later, international oil companies stopped delivery to Uganda due to non-payment. Mm. This caused Amin to fire his finance minister, his vice president, and the chairman of the Uganda Industrial Committee. I thought that was his roles. Or, no, he's the foreign minister. That's, that's right, yeah. So okay. now he's got three new roles. Okay. All right, well, you know what? He's a busy man. <laughs> Amin seemed to be trying to steer the ship by himself now. The most significant event for him in 1978 happened in the United States. Congress passed a bill banning American trade with Uganda. As a result, U.S. companies, which supplied 40% of Uganda's oil, stopped delivery. Amin tried getting current on his oil bill, but as he did, it just kept piling up. Yeah, yeah. The U.S. US will let a lot of shit go. You can't fuck with their money, though. No. No. <laughs> the only thing that's sacred to them is their money. Yep. These U.S. sanctions may have made a difference earlier in his rule, but by 1978, it was too little, too late to cause any real damage. Other forces would push out Amin long before that could happen. Mm. Amin thrashed around, desperately trying to solve his many problems. In early October, he announced ten times that Tanzania was invading. On October 19th, Amnesty International published yet another scathing report on human rights violation in Uganda. At the end of the month, Amin struck suddenly, 
After crying wolf about a supposed Tanzanian invasion, Ugandan troops invaded Tanzania on October 30th and on November 1st announced the capture of the Kagera salient. Okay, is he lying or could he actually be delusional? Starting to get, like, to the paranoid point where you start to become delusional. That Yeah, definitely. Mm. That's definitely happening. Mm. And he thinks that... Uh, with all these supposed invasion attempts that he has to counter-invade now. He's basically turning into Jim Jones at this point. Yes, yes. <laughs> Fake enemies, man. Yeah. yeah. Amin declared an unconditional withdrawal on November 4th, almost out of nowhere, only to announce another invasion two weeks later, claiming continued Tanzanian aggression. Still thrashing to secure his homeland, Amin offered amnesty to all Ugandan exiles, Unsurprisingly, no one took yeah. him up on that offer. Sounds like a trap. <laughs> Sounds like a trap. The exiles were far too busy massing at Uganda's border in Tanzania, preparing for their own invasion. In January 1979, they, along with a huge number of Tanzanian soldiers, crossed into Uganda. They fought slowly and mostly on foot and had strong international support. The ammunition was all supplied by the British, but in a roundabout back channel type yeah. of way. Yeah, this is, uh, I can say, classic American move here, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the Middle East. We've been doing it <laughs> yeah. since since Still we were a country. It. Yeah. You, you ever heard of Syria? Yeah, it's going on right now. <sighs> Here's some weapons, overthrow the government, then mm. become the government we mm. hate, and we'll give weapons to somebody else to overthrow you. Who's the only time they really got caught for? It was in South America, right? Was it? Um, yeah, I think it was Reagan and the drug cartel or oh, something Oh, like yes, absolutely. Mm. Now that's just kind of a widely accepted when thing. When it became like, obvious that the yeah. that America was pumping crack onto the streets to make black people die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Finally, by the time the war was already won, the Ugandan exile political groups got their ducks in a row and assembled an umbrella government for when the Tanzanians struck the final blow to a meet. So they, they moved in pretty quick. They went pretty mm. quick. I mean, it's. I mean, the way you make it sound, it's kind of on its last foot here, and uh, I mean, doesn't have much going on. No, a, uh, and certainly not like a strong fight to the death military. <laughs> no. Only his closest guard is like really looking out for him. Mm. By early April, the invaders had captured Entebbe and prepared to move on the capital city, Kampala. Amin and his family had fled the capital already. They were in the West Nile region, specifically at a sizable airfield in Arua town that had been built with British money six years ago. On April 23rd, a Libyan C-130 Hercules transport plane landed and took Amin into exile. Thousands of West Nilers who would be seen as Amin's people by the Tanzanians also did everything they could to slip over the border. So any anybody who they deemed loyal to him. West Nilers especially. Gotcha, gotcha. The Tanzanians pushed the remnants of the Ugandan army north towards the West Nile. When they reached the region, they unleashed atrocities that were on par with the fleeing president. The West Nilers were seen as having prospered under Amin and that they were all his supporters, which of course was not true. Amin only showed up to his hometown for recruitment safaris, and they suffered as much as anyone else. So they just, when they came in, did the same thing that Amin's boys did and just kind of wiped them all out. Yep. Mm. Once the country was secured and the Tanzanians left, a series of weak, illegitimate governments popped up and folded, facing the consequences of Amin's misrule. He had destroyed the public's trust in the state and promoted a culture of violence, suspicion, and distrust consequences that carry over into today. 
No ruler since Amin has taken power through fair and open elections. After a handful of fragile governments came and went, Milton Abode rose from the ashes in December 1980. This was Uganda's first election since 1962, and it was rigged to the gills in favor of Abode. Yeah. You know this guy ain't getting elected, <laughs> you know, uh, rightfully. Not after they overthrew him last <laughs> no. time. Richard Reed sums up Abode 2 as follows. Abode 2 was arguably murkier as a historical episode than Amin. In many ways, Abote represented continuity from Amin and further utilized the role of the military in politics. The consensus is Abote's reign from 1980 to 1985 was bloodier and more brutal, resulting in more deaths than all of Amin. Yep. Whoa. So, okay, I see what you're saying in the beginning where he, Amin kind of gets blamed for these deaths. Abote was a politician. I mean, Abode I'm sorry, a fucking I mean, yeah, plan, yeah, you know. Well, maybe he's like, well, it seemed like Amin had a pretty iron fist control through his violent methods. Mm-hmm. Why not just continue him? Oh, not and, and not to mention, yeah, he turned it into uh, like a. I I hate to compare it to Nazi, but it it was the mm. the way he did it was paperwork. You know, everything was rounded up. So you mentioned the UN like taking note of the human rights violations. Yeah. How far do they have to be pushed before, like, they actually take militaristic action? Far. I was going to say, because throughout history, there's a lot of countries like this where the leader's just killing everybody, you know? But you can't activate a global police force without Mm. problems. Like, Mm. that's just so much bureaucratic bullshit. But I also don't want the UN interfering all the time. That would be fucked up. Yeah, it's I. It's like a lose-lose situation. You basically have to just sit back and hope one of the neighboring countries takes care of them or something, you know what I mean? Unless it's we turn up. into Star Trek where none of this is a problem anymore. Yeah. It, do you know what a human being is? This ain't never happened. <laughs> exactly. Richard isn't alone in this consensus. Abode's government killed twice as many people in half the time. It ended in 1986 after a long, brutal civil war against the National Resistance Movement headed by Yoweri Museveni. Just like, I mean, Museveni was raised in and around the army, not to mention he'd been organizing guerrilla rebels from Tanzania for years and years. 2021 will celebrate 35 years in power for Museveni, which is longer than all other post-independent presidents combined. And his regime is army first, just like Amin's. But his image remains relatively unsullied despite human rights violations, violence against political opponents, rigged elections, and widespread corruption. Most Ugandans agree, however, At least he ain't a mean or a bote. Despite most of them being far too young to remember either dictator. So how how bad is Museveni? I guess I don't even know. That's the thing. He's got such a, a mm. good public face, an international public face. But yeah, we, uh, I would love to go into Museveni's uh, human rights violations because <laughs> well, they stack up with a Bodhi and a mean. Yeah. They do. So this country has been doomed for uh, 40 years now. Since Jesus. decolonization. Yeah, mm. I would say. Yikes. While Uganda continued to suffer, Amin lived it up in exile for the remaining 24 years of his life. He didn't write any more crazy letters to world leaders or make outlandish speeches. It seems all that was only meant to keep him in power rather than a sign of mental illness. Mm. Amin moved to Saudi Arabia after an argument with Gaddafi and became increasingly more religious. According to his son Jafar, who was with him in exile, life became mundane. 
dad was given a monthly allowance to live an opulent lifestyle, but life in exile was still hard. In Saudi Arabia, there was marble everywhere in our 15-room mansion, but it still wasn't home. Dad was paid $30,000 a month by the Saudis. Wow, what a miserable life you have. Oh, you have a 15-room marble (laughs) home and 30 grand a month. Here's the thing I never understood about marble, and uh, rich dictators reach out to us. The, it seems like it'd always be cold, but I guess in Saudi Arabia, it probably wouldn't be cold. Yeah, or you you want it to be in true, Saudi Arabia. True, I mean, at night, they have it has to get cold. Everywhere on the planet at night gets cold yeah. a little bit. Deserts get yeah. freezing in the night. You think marble would, like, hurt your feet. Yeah, but especially I know, right out the shower. I know, like, all the NBA players and shit. I wonder if they put, like, heating coils maybe in it or something. It's got to just be a status symbol, right? Yeah, Because fuck marble. I'd rather have linoleum. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I guess that's technically what I have. I was like, wait a minute, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I have fake hardwood up in my room, which is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's easy to clean. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it fucking rotting. Yeah, you don't have to wax it, all that shit. Uh, I love you, linoleum. Mm. An Italian journalist asked Amin if he missed Ugandan food, his friends, and asked if he had any regrets. No, only nostalgia for when I was a non-commissioned officer and everyone respected me. I was a bull. He yeah, was. a bull. Yeah, you're an asshole. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> How did Amin survive in power for so long? The fun stories written about his rule will want you to believe that he kept his citizens in a constant state of fear. Honestly, though, some of his strategies were quite brilliant, and coffee prices remained high throughout his entire reign until the last six months or so. This influx of foreign currency kept the high-ranking military members and civilians vital to the regime supplied with enough luxuries to remain on board with him. Also, Amin's personality helped sustain widespread international support. His goofiness and loud persona to international leaders endeared him to his people. His grandiose public statements on world affairs were seen as stupid and insane and bipolar by the British, But in Uganda, it was seen as the behavior of a strong, powerful man who could get away with offering impolite advice to well-respected world leaders. A third element to Amin's success was his foreign policy. Throughout his reign, he set powerful members of the international community against each other, forcing them to fight for his attention and Uganda's support in the UN. Early in his reign, it was Israelis versus Arabs, and at the end, U.S. versus Russia. Was he a bad man? Yes. Was it mostly incompetence? Also, yes. Uh, yeah, he, I don't know. He's an interesting character in the country of, because he, what, reigned for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I don't really, I, you know, this kind of makes you wonder what he his story would have been if there was more world news coverage um, like we have now, because obviously, I mean, I guess we don't really hear about dictators too much right now or I mean, you have to, like, go out of your way to, you know, hear. You know what blew my mind? I think I've talked about it, about this previously on the show. It's like America doesn't really talk about problems in Africa that much. Yep. Uh, when I was in Britain, the shit is everywhere. Oh, it's right, th- it's right down there. Yeah, it's like, man, they have so many posters and signs for, like, uh, helping them uh. and, like, stuff like that. So, I don't know. It's just, it was like, it, like, blew my mind. I never even thought about it. Uh, and... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's such a this guy is just uh, obviously he's 
not a good person. And I'm very confused why the Saudis helped him still. Like, why, why would they give him all that shit? Yeah, why would they let him exile yeah. there and all that? Because they have too much money anyway. Yeah. It's like 30000 nothing to him. It's and he's like, uh, super, super Muslim. Like, super Muslim. Oh. He's dead now, but yeah, he, he definitely, as he was going into exile, he could recite the Quran front to back. And that's that goes a long way in the Arab world. Hey, we know someone uh, similar to his name who can allegedly do that, and he adds his own uh, content to it as well. Yeah, he has his own fun <laughs> stories, too. He told us uh, all medical secrets known to man are in there. They yeah. just were copied uh, by scientists. Yeah, so yeah. That's interesting. They I were don't decoded think and copied there. by scientists. I don't think that's in there, but uh, <laughs> according to him, they are in there. He's an interesting character Oh, as that's well. a good time. That's a good time. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this three-parter on Idi Amin. Uh, I hope you learned a little something. That would be uh, great. Oh, yeah. You can tell me what you learned uh, by filling out the form submission at BumbleButtPodcast.com. It'll come to us like an email. We'll be able to read it out on the show or talk to you about it personally, whatever, whatever it is you're looking for. Another thing that you can do to help us out is uh, go to... Instagram.com slash BumblebuttPodcast and Twitter.com slash BumblebuttPod. Uh, you get all fun updates and we'll talk to you. If you want to be a champion, you'll bop the follow button on Spotify and you will leave us a five-star written review on iTunes, which I know we have one. Hell yeah. Let me let me pull this bad boy up. Do it. I think that pulling up iTunes reviews is probably... The funnest part of the show, if you were yeah. to ask me. Yeah, it, it uh, feeds our ego like a mean. Yeah. Uh, it says, great show by Zombie Me Too. Oh, Zombie Co- got me too. <laughs> Cody and Adam are so hilarious. They get me raffling every episode. Awesome research and great storytelling. Bumblebutt is definitely one of my top favorite podcasts, Fuck and I yeah. o- always look forward to new episodes. Thank Hell you yeah. so much for writing that, Zombie Me Too. Honestly, um, I promise... I won't, uh, I won't me to you. No, I won't make no. you do sexual favors. <laughs> no, uh, your favors were to sexually arouse us with awesome reviews. And I'm torqued and to the all... gills, so. <laughs> it's all we need. That's all we could ask for. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Thank you. Next, go to patreon.com slash podcast. Sign up at any level. Kissing the Coronavirus Part 2 will be out this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're going to want to catch up. It's with... extra nasty. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it is. We <laughs> recorded the first 20 minutes, peek behind the curtain. It's extra nasty. It, extra nasty. It involves sausages going in places <laughs> they don't belong. Oscar Myers going places they don't, they don't They ain't supposed to. Uh, Patreon.com slash BumblePodcast. Also, BumblePodcast.com. Buy a shirt, if you wouldn't mind too much. Buy buy yourself some nice BumbleButt branded merchandise. Hell yeah. And that's going to do it for all of us here at the BumbleButt Podcast. I appreciate all of you for listening, and I appreciate you, Cody. Thank you, Cody, for thank, being here. Thank you, Adam. All right, everybody. My name's been Adam, and you can have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Peace out. <laughs>